0: What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of Believe in the Rockets, only on the Believe Podcast Network. As always, I'm your host, Cody Davis, and please remember to follow me on Twitter at Cody, C-O-T-Y, D-A-V-I-S underscore 24. And once again, you can find Believe in the Rockets on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Spotify. Happy Friday, ladies and gentlemen, and today marks the end of a tough four-game road trip out west for your Houston Rockets. They will return to the court tonight to face off against their Southwest Division rivals, the Dallas Mavericks. Inside the Toyota Center, tip-off is slated for 6.35 Central Time. And with the Rockets are in desperate need for a win, their competition against the Mavericks got a little bit easier Thursday afternoon. On Thursday, ESPN's Tim McMahon reported that Dallas Mavericks star Luka Doncic sustained an ankle injury during practice. Tim McMahon reported that the ankle injury is as severe as the one that caused him to miss four games in the month of December. Now, as of right now, Luka's status for tonight's game against the Rockets is still questionable, but I highly doubt the Mavericks will force Doncic to go out there and perform. And like I say, for a team that is in desperate need for a win after that embarrassing national televised performance against the Portland Trailblazers, the Rockets need all the help they can get. So, like I say, today I want to talk, I just want to do a quick recap of the Rockets four-game road trip out west. A road trip where they went 2-2 two and two, and a surprising performance from Eric Gordon. But first, I want to take a moment to remember my GOAT and one of my childhood heroes, Kobe Bryant. On Sunday, the NBA, the sports, and the world in general came to a complete stop when news broke that Kobe, his 13-year-old daughter Gianna, and seven others lost their lives in a helicopter crash. Like so many others, the news of Kobe's untimely death broke me. It broke me to the point where I was in denial. And to a certain extent, I'm still in some kind of denial. I was talking to my coworker on Tuesday. And we were talking about the situation, and I told him, I said, I'm still holding out on hope. He said, Cody, what you mean? He's gone. I said, No, 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 no. He's not gone. I said, I believe this is some kind of mean hoax that someone has has started. You know, I didn't know Kobe personally, but from everything that I've studied, from the interviews and stuff, I, I knew that Kobe was a strong family man. And he, seems, <laughs> he seemed like the type who would take his family and say, we're going to go on a retreat for a couple of days. No internet. No cell phone, no communication with the outside world. Let's just love each other, enjoy each other's company, play games, just just fellowship as a family, for 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 a few days. You know, I, I drew up in my mind that Kobe and his family went on some kind of retreat, and when I told that to Drew, Drew said, "Man, that that do sound like a logic scenario." He said, but Cody, do you realize how big this has gotten? He looked at me. He said, if that was the case, by now, Kobe would have came out and said, yo, I don't know what the hell just happened, but I am okay.'" He said somebody would have went to that that retreat and got him, Vanessa, Gianna. And the rest of his family was like, we don't know what happened, but we're okay. He said, think about it. I said, Jude, you, you got a point. But I still didn't want to believe it. And I truly, fully did not accept it until Wednesday night when I got the news that Vanessa Bryan, his wife, posted a heartfelt statement on Instagram Thursday morning the whole entire Lakers organization released a statement. And that's when I knew. I didn't want to believe it. I I didn't know Kobe personally. But I felt like I did. Ever since I was a little boy, Kobe Bryant was always in my life. To understand how long I have been following Kobe, the first time I saw him, was in the 2001 NBA Finals when they was playing against the Philadelphia 76ers. At the time, I couldn't have been no more than seven years old. And I don't know what I was doing. I mean, I wasn't a basketball fan or anything at the time, but I just remember turning on my TV in my room. And at the time, the the NBA Finals was still coming on NBC. And I remember I said, "Oh, a basketball game. And I'm sitting there, And I'm hearing Shaquille O'Neal, I'm hearing Allen Iverson, and I hear Kobe Bryant. And at the time, those three names struck some kind of bell. I said, oh, my God, those are the three basketball players that my my big cousins, Jonathan and Evie, are always talking about. So I decided I was going to sit there and watch it. Now I'm seven, watching an NBA basketball game by myself. So let's just say I watched that for about 20 to 30 minutes, (laughs) if that. But when I was sitting there, I saw AI, I saw Shaq. But for some reason, I found myself like in a trance. Every time this guy who looked like he was about 6'6", at the time he looked like he was about 8'6", because they just looked so big to me at the time. But I'm looking at this guy with this afro. Every time he grabbed the ball, it went in. And I was like, oh, my God. After that, I found myself becoming a fan at that, that same day. And at the time, I was living in New Orleans, so New Orleans, we, we didn't have a basketball team. So in order for you to watch an NBA game, you have to be a legit fan because, like they say, New Orleans is a football town. But I was still seeing clips of Kobe getting up on Saturday mornings, <laughs> watching Saturday morning cartoons. I remember they used to have a segment called, like, the sports segment, and every single week Kobe Bryant was on there doing some kind of dunk. But it was around 2002, New Orleans decided to get the Charlotte Hornets. They renamed them the New Orleans Hornets, and that's when my love for basketball skyrocketed. And during that time, that's when Kobe really became Kobe. Kobe. I'm getting up. I'm like in the fourth grade. At this point, I'm really starting to get a fascination for for not only the game of basketball, but Kobe. Running to the TV every morning. Watching Stuart Scott go ballistic over the things Bryant was doing on the basketball court. A year later, me and my family moved to Houston. And I discovered the Houston Rockets. And when I got to Houston, I realized, man, a lot more people talking about Kobe out here more than they're doing back at home. And for some reason, Kobe looked like he's getting up more for these games against the Rockets other than the games that he got up against for the Hornets. The very first playoff series that I watched beginning to end was the Rockets and the Los Angeles Lakers in the 2004 first-round playoffs. And although I was rooting for the Rockets, And that series started a relationship between me and Kobe and my Rockets where I I felt like my Rockets and Kobe, all three of us had an understanding. It was Kobe, you go out there and draw 40 to 50, but you got to let my Rockets win. (laughs) Let's just say that I only got that scenario once, possibly twice. (laughs) Because Kobe used to dog the Rockets, man. At that time, I was like 11 or 10 in the fifth grade. And every single year when my love for the game of basketball grew, my love for Kobe grew. He went from, oh, my God, this is a really good, fun basketball player to watch to, oh, my God, this this is one of my heroes. (laughs) Growing up, just like millions of other kids around the world, I wanted to be the next Kobe Bryant. And, and growing up, everyone knew my two favorite players was Tracy McGrady and Kobe Bryant. Everyone knew that. Growing up, I had my whole entire wall in my room decorated of NBA players. We talking LeBron, we talking Melo, we talking D-Wade, Chris Paul, Dwight Howell, Allen Iverson. Whoever was big during the 2000s, in one way, shape or another, they were on my wall. But nobody appeared on my wall more than Tracy McGrady and Kobe. That's when I was in middle school. That's when I was a freshman or a sophomore in in high school. But the older I got, the fascination that I had for all those players dwindled down and dwindled down and dwindled down. It dwindled down to the point where I had two posters of, of Kobe Bryant on my wall and only one of Tracy McGrady inside my college dorm room. And looking back on it, even five days after his death, I still look up to Kobe Jellybean Bryant. Words cannot describe the happiness I felt watching that man play basketball. Not only some of my favorite basketball sports memories come from Kobe. Just some of my best memories in general come from this man. I remember watching him score 62 points in three quarters against the Dallas Mavericks in 2006. It was on NBA TV. And I guess for some reason my grandma didn't have nothing to watch, so she let me watch that game. Just remember just being in awe. A couple weeks later, I remember watching the Rockets lose, I want to say, against the Detroit Pistons on a Sunday afternoon in January. And I'm looking at the bottom of the ticker. And I see Kobe Bryant, 81 points. Oh, hell no. That can't be 81. They must mean 18 or 28 or uh, 58. That, that's not 81. Getting a call from one of my best friends, Jose, saying, Cody, did you see what Kobe did? <laughs> Watching him win, not one, not two, but three championships. Oh, okay, that's nice. But the last two that I was literally there for from beginning to end remembering how happy I felt when he won number five against the Celtics. There was only two times I think I actually prayed for the outcome of the game to work in my favor. And that was when the Saints went to the Super Bowl and beat the Indianapolis Colts. And that was when Kobe Bryant, game seven, defeated the Boston Celtics. And, yeah, I know there are a lot of more important things to pray, but I just just wanted him to win so bad. Mostly all his great performances, great dunks, I was there for. I remember being a sophomore in college, keeping up with the Lakers playing against the Golden State Warriors, and every time I see him make a basket, he's falling. Just to realize, a couple minutes later, this man has popped his Achilles. Achilles. And through all the dunks, through all of the championships, through all the game winners, the the incredible performances, my favorite Kobe Bryant moment of all was after he popped his Achilles. He walked to the free throw line by himself, knocked down two shots, and walked to the locker room. And I remember I was sitting there in tears looking at his post-game press conference because I'm looking at... One of my biggest heroes in tears because he knew that was the end of his career. He come back, hurt his knee, come back, hurt his shoulder. I remember I was on the phone with one of my best friends, Steven, and we got the news that Kobe Bryant was retiring. I instantly spent all of my refund money on Lakers versus Rockets tickets. And the day that I went to that game, and I'm sitting there, and when Kobe came out, I lost it. Screaming, jumping, hollering. I hollered so much, I didn't even think my I don't I I I was surprised looking back at the video, I was surprised how high my voice actually had gotten. Just because it was Kobe. And I remember I, I shared a couple tears because after it was over and the Rockets won, he was walking off the court. He waved goodbye to everyone, to every section. And me, I went, I went, I went to the game with my mom, and we we sat really, really close. And when he looked in my direction and waved, I know there were thousands of people in my section, but because how low I was. And because he waved in my direction, I felt like he was, he was only waving to me. And when he walked off and went in that tunnel, I shared a couple tears. Because I felt like I finally had the opportunity to meet one of my childhood heroes. The day he retired, you could ask everyone around Lamar University who knew me. I dressed up in all Kobe gear. And I was watching it with my friends, and when he dropped 60, I said, go ahead and take your rest, boy. You deserve it. A year later, I see him win an Oscar. I'm like, what? Kobe Bryant won an Oscar? (laughs) And to see him not only be there for his wife and be there for his family, but to see the amount of time that he put in with his daughter, Gigi, It made me say, man, I I can't wait to be a father. And I pray that one day I can have that type of relationship that Kobe had with his daughter. Right when Kobe was introducing her on the scene, (laughs) there was this video that came out. And she had hit this fadeaway shot just like Kobe. And I watched that for days. (laughs) And I looked at my coworker, Drew. I said, Drew, this is my favorite WNBA player right here. Gianna Bryant. I'm already about to go get the jersey. And we just laughed, man, and, you know, that was only like three, four weeks ago. I was so excited to see what the future had in store for Gianna. But unfortunately, we would never see those opportunities, not for only for Gianna, but for Bryant. I'm still hurt. Of course, like many others, I'm, I'm still hurt. I'm still trying to process what happened. I'm still trying to picture a life without Kobe. And I only say that due to the fact that I have a lot of stuff with Kobe Bryant. Magazines, shirts, pictures all in my phone, all in my laptop. <laughs> my background at work on my work computer when you go to my emails is a picture of Kobe Bryant. I looked, at, I looked at those pictures and stuff, and, I, and all I saw was just motivation, inspiration, happiness, joy. Now I feel the complete opposite. Every time I see Kobe Bryant's face, I see a graphic nine times out of ten in black and white, followed by 1978 to two thousand and twenty. But the amount of sadness and grief that I'm feeling, words cannot describe. I, I just can't imagine how Vanessa and his remaining daughters feel. And not only just that family, the other families who was, that was involved in this fatal accident. I'm going to continue to pray for that family. I'm going to continue to pray for the Bryant family. And I'm going to continue to pray for the fans around the world like myself and I always live by the mama mentality mode and I'm not going to stop now. So Kobe, I just want you to know. That I truly, truly, truly do love you. You brought so much joy and happiness in my life. And I will keep your legacy alive. Whether it be me getting more involved in covering using using my platform to bring more coverage and and opportunities to the WNBA. Or just through. Every single thing that I do. I'm going to do it with the Mamba mentality, just like I did before. Because you showed me, Kobe, that if you work hard enough. In whatever you want to do. It can happen. So once again, Kobe, I love you. Rest in peace, you and your beautiful daughter. And to the seven, and to the families of the victims who was also with you, I pray for you guys too. So rest in peace, Kobe. I love you. It will take me possibly two weeks for me to get out everything what Kobe Bryant meant to me, because every time I say Kobe meant this, there's a reason and an example attached to that. You know, doing a break, you know, trying to clear my mind and get back to to get back to the job at hand, and that is to bring you guys Houston Rockets news. I'm sitting there and I just thought about, oh, man, I didn't think about when he scored that game winner against um, the, the Phoenix Suns. I didn't even t- think about um, telling you guys about the story of my favorite game winner in NBA history was when he hit that shot over Dwayne Wade in 2010. And, and a quick story, that's my favorite because I was a senior in high school. And I was so pumped to watch that game, but I was so tired. So I went to sleep around the third quarter or at halftime. And when I woke up, I woke up and I said, oh, my God, the game. And as I looked at the TV, they had just inbounds the ball to Kobe. <laughs> and he took a couple dribbles, shot an off-ballon fadeaway jumper that banked off the backboard and went in over Dwayne Wade. And and I just remember sitting there like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> And I just remember you know the one the joy that I saw another Kobe Bryant game winner and two like damn I wake up to Kobe hitting a game winner <laughs> but you know like so many others man anything I do I feel like it's not going to be enough to to honor Kobe Bryant um but but I but I love the tributes that the NBA not not just just Everyone, NBA, the sports world, everyone has been doing it in order to show their respect or to pay homage to the GOAT. Along with multiple players changing their numbers, a lot of people are changing their numbers from um, whatever their jersey number is. Most of them either 8 or 24. They're changing it to 28 to honor Kobe and Gigi. And just like we all expected, the All-Star game, which I'm pretty sure is probably going to turn into another memorial for Bryant. Um, the All-Star game itself is going to honor kobe with a new all-star game format it's very confusing by the way and i'm still trying to understand what is the task at hand the new rule every quarter will turn into a mini game for charity before the untimed final quarter going into the second and the third quarter the scores will reset back to zero zero Heading into the fourth quarter, both the first, the second and third quarter points will be added up. The fourth quarter is untimed and it will play a game of 24 points. 24 is the target number. Whoever reached 24 in the fourth quarter will win the game. So it's going to be interesting to see how that will work out. Along with multiple tributes, I believe my favorite tribute has been the amount of 40-point and 50-point games that has been recorded since the news of Kobe Bryant broke. As of right now, the NBA has seen six different 40-plus games recorded. One came from Chris Middleton of the Milwaukee Bucks. Two has come from Bradley Beal. One has come from Trey Young. One has come from Damian Litter. In a surprising turn of events, one has came from Eric Gordon. Gordon recorded his career high in a 126-117 victory over the Utah Jazz, a game in which he shot 14 for 22, 6 for 11 from three-point range. And what's funny about that, the Chris Middleton scoring 50, that was a little bit of a surprise. Bradley Beal, Dame Dollar, and Trey Young, no one was surprised about that because just like James Harden, they could go off of 40 points at any moment. But the fun thing about Eric Gordon scoring 50, this was the first time since he played for the Los Angeles Clippers over 10 years that he recorded over 40 points. And not only did he record over 40, the man went out and got 50 (laughs) challenging his Mamba mentality, which brings me up back to the Houston Rockets four game road trip. Now, the Houston Rockets went two and two, but I personally want to believe that they went two and one. I wish there was a way I could take away their loss on Sunday because the Rockets Nuggets was the very first game played literally minutes after the world found out what happened to Kobe. I rewatched that game, and you can tell like nobody was one in their right mind. It just seemed like every player was just going through the motions and and like i say man i just wish that was a, a game where you can we can have a reset to that whole entire day but overall i was happy from what i saw from the rockets other than that embarrassing game against the trailblazers on wednesday Last Friday, the Rockets came out and put on a show against the Minnesota Timberwolves thanks to a 45-point performance from Russell Westbrook. Can I just say something about Russell Westbrook really quick? This guy has been on a tear throughout the month of January. And I don't know what's going on, but I'm starting to wonder, can Westbrook and Harden play together? And I'm not wondering that question too much because I believe they can. But I do not believe they can play in Mike D'Antoni's system together. Because when you think about D'Antoni's system, his system was at the peakest in Phoenix when he had Steve Nash as his ball handler. A guy who is a pass first point guard. When he was in New York His system Saw his second peak With Jeremy Lin at the Helms And Jeremy Lin is not your ideal Pass first point guard But he is not The scorer Nor is he not The player Of a Russell Westbrook And a James Harden I'm really starting to truly believe I do believe the Westbrook and Harden is a good pairing, and I do believe that it can work. But I do not believe that it can work in Mike D'Antoni's system. Something has to give with this team. And I'm not one to call for nobody's job. But D'Antoni has to change something in this system. And what I like most about this terror that Russell Westbrook has been on as of late Go back and take a look at the last 10 games and let me know how many three-point attempts he shot. Don't worry about it. I'll tell you. I got the number right here. He shot five. And look how successful he has been. Five three-point attempts in the last 10 games. And this is a guy who's averaging, playing possibly some of the best basketball of his career. 34 points, nine assists, and nine rebounds over the last 10 games. And what's frustrating about the Mike D'Antoni system is it's just due to the fact that the Rockets are not shooting that good. P.J. Tucker, ever since he suffered that shoulder injury against the Timberwolves like two, three weeks ago, his shot has been gone. I don't know what the hell has been going on with James Harden. James Harden. This might be James Harden' worst year shooting the ball I've seen in a very long time. Austin Rivers, despite having a good game against the Utah Jazz, he has been a no-show. And the same can be said for Daniel House. The only guy, well, the only two guys who has shot the ball relatively good over the last couple of games has been Eric Gordon and Ben McLemore. And I don't understand Mike D'Antoni reasoning for replacing McLemore in the starting lineup for Eric Gordon. Yes, Eric Gordon had a 50-point game. I get it. But one, you're not going to depend on him to score 50 points the next game. And two, you already have a weak bench. Why in the hell would you take your best bench player and put him in the starting lineup with James Harden and Russell Westbrook when it's clear that Eric Gordon is better when he's on the court with one of the other? It was just like that when when Chris Paul was here. Eric Gordon is better when he's on the court with either Chris Paul, James Harden, or Russell Westbrook. He's not that good when he's on the court with both of them at the same time. I don't understand Mike D'Antoni reasoning behind that change. And when I got the notification, I say, what? That doesn't make any kind of sense. It really doesn't. I love what I've been seeing from Russell Westbrook. And... The game against the Utah Jazz just shows, just proves to me, one, I mean, the Jazz will always be the Jazz. I will forever throw jabs at the Utah Jazz because I don't like them. But it just showed to me that the Rockets really do have a good core, a solid core. In order for this team to take the next step, You already know one change I believe the Rockets should do, and I'm pretty sure next week is going to be a fun week to see if they're going to add some size to this team. But I think there is another change that needs to happen. And as much as I like this guy, unfortunately, I believe that it's time to part ways with him. Once again, I am not here. I'm never here for the calling of anyone's job. But in order for the Russell Westbrook, James Harden pairing to work, the Rockets need to do two things. Either A, sit Dan Tony down and talk to him. Encourage him to make adjustments to his game plan. Because not only is it not working between the Russell Westbrook, James Harden pairing in his system. It's also predictable. You give James Harden the ball, dribble, dribble, dribble. Either he's going to shoot or he's going to give somebody else the ball to shoot. The only player who keeps their opponent on their tiptoes is Russell Westbrook. That's because he attacks, attacks, attacks. So if I was Daryl Moore, if I was Fatida. I will sit D'Antoni down and say, "Hey, Mike, it's okay to make some adjustments. That's how we evolve. We have to make adjustments." And I've been watching Mike D'Antoni ever since he exploded with that Phoenix Suns team in 20 in in, in 2005. And here we are 15 years later. He has yet to evolve. It's okay to make changes. Sometimes changes are for the better. Everyone knows what Mike D'Antoni's system is about. And like I mentioned earlier in this segment, his system is at its best when you have a pass-first point guard at the helm running the show. Not someone who can play point guard, not someone who, can, who has a high IQ, but just someone who is like a Steve Nash. And not someone like a Kobe Bryant who can go out there and drop 81 points on your head at any given moment. The same can be said about Russ. Set him down. Talk to him. Tell him make some adjustments. Or two. Start looking at other candidates. Because the window of winning a championship with James Harden. It's quickly starting to fade. Even with the addition of Russell Westbrook. And what I don't want to happen. What I fear may happen. More likely than not. You go through this next season. Next thing you know you start hearing rumblings that James Harden. or And Russell Westbrook won out of Houston. And here this franchise is, three years later. No championship, no Russ, no James Harden, no draft picks. Sitting at the bottom of the NBA. Wondering, how in the hell are we going to get out of this funk? So it's going to be interesting to see. Like I said, those were my quick takes from this four game road trip. The continuation of how great Russell Westbrook has been playing. Once again, the game against the Utah Jazz proved to me that we do have a solid good core. And it also proved that the Rockets are not ready to win a championship, at least this season. Believe in the Rockets, only on the Believe Podcast Network. Once again, I'm your host, Cody Davis. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show Next week, I would try my hardest to get two shows out. Just due to the fact that next Thursday is the NBA trading deadline, and it's going to be interesting to see what Daryl Morey is going to do, wants to do with this team moving forward. You don't have a bad team, but at the end of the day, the Rockets are not in the position to win a championship. I know this is going to be an adjustment period for not only James Harden but also for Russell Westbrook. You have Mike D'Antoni in a system I do not believe both of those guys can play in together I believe they can play together in any system I believe they can go on to be one of the best duos that this league has ever seen but not under the lights of Mike D'Antoni but we're going to see and I'm pretty sure like always the Rockets are going to make some kind of move for the trade deadline so please remember I'm going to try my hardest to post two shows next week I'm going to try to do it Since the Super Bowl is Sunday, I'm going to try to post a show for Tuesday and next Friday, just recapping the trade day line and just recapping um, what's going on with the Houston Rockets as a whole. Once again, I'm your host, Cody Davis. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. And once again, I love you, Kobe. Rest in peace, man. Peace.